When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is John Baird. John built his career working with top leaders at companies ranging from early stage startups to Fortune 500 firms like Apple, Nike, and Twitter. John is currently the senior partner and board chair at Velocity, where he coaches companies at various stages of growth, including Google, DoorDash, and many others. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you so much, Diane. It's great to be here. It is great to have you here. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, like really work structure, decision making, you know, lead, teamwork, all those kinds of things, mm -hmm. and. Um, I would really like to start with the subject of collaborative work structure. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious about um, the benefit that has to a company's productivity, you know, where you've got multiple levels of employees and they all, well, even people at various levels have a say in strategic decision-making. Mm -hmm. Share with me really the thought behind that and, and how that benefits a company. Right. I mean, I think we know that teams do work, right? That having a collaborative process and input from people at different levels, particularly in executing decisions as you cascade decisions down is really, really critical, right? I think the key that we see is uh, uh, just how that's done, right? How that's managed. Um, because I think there's a lot of uh, efforts to sort of make teams work, right, et cetera. And the intent by leaders is the right intent, right, to engage, hear the voices, et cetera. But not as much attention given to the decision framework, the communication cadence, the rules to make all these levels of teams, whether it's cross-functional, whatever it is, make it all work. So I find uh, it interesting. Uh, we do a lot of work with Masterclass, for example. You probably know, Diane, about Masterclass, right? Sure. They're, they're an interesting company. And they have actually what they have defined as a decision-making manifesto. Now, this is a work in progress. Uh, we're working with them on this. But it really clarifies what decisions are people going to be involved in? Who's going to be involved in those decisions? Um, who's the owner of those decisions? And then how do we cascade and you know, communicate decisions down and when it's not working, how do we get that feedback? So they've really defined decision owners, 
decision process. They use a lot of tools like RACI and DACI and iRAPID, which really defined who's involved, who isn't. Um, so I think it, it, for it to work, Diane, it has to be managed and there has to be a process because there's nothing worse than having what I would call pseudo participation. We want your input, but when you give it to us, <laughs> we don't like it. It's like, right. And so that is the worst thing to build trust. Yeah, boy, I, I, absolutely. And that, that's, I'm so glad that you said that because I think sometimes leaders of companies, you know, hear that they should be doing this, but they don't really necessarily know how, or they haven't really bought into it. So they sort of fudge it and then it backfires on them. It does. Yeah. And I think it, it's, it's better. I mean, if you know, you have a decision that is going to be like this and that you're clear and maybe you, you say to people, um, you know, we, we have a decision that we have made. We want your input in terms of how it's implemented, but we'll hear all that, but we're going to make the final call. It's like, you need to clarify how their voices are going to be used. Right. Or, this is a decision that has to be a collective consensus. Uh, we all need to buy into this because it's critical to the culture, to the product, whatever. If we don't all have a sort of similar perception about how this all works, it's not going to happen, right? So we will stay in this room until we all agree. Uh, so I think it's being really clear about the decision process. You know, I want your input, but we'll be making the final call. Let's talk about all the pros and cons, but this group will be making the decision. We will collectively do this. We haven't made it yet, so we want input yeah. down through. Just clarify exactly what the rules of engagement are. Right, right. It, it's really, really so important. Like one of the things that um, that I teach when I teach leadership is that what you want to do is say, there are no bad ideas. There's only ideas we can't implement right now. Right. 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 Because yeah. it allows people to think and share and put ideas on the table, understanding that their idea may not be the one that's chosen. Yes. Yes. That's really an important concept. I, I love the way you phrase that, you know, their idea may not, and that often, uh, Diane, is not said. There, yeah. There's that illusion that because you're putting it out and there's this whole thing around needing to hear voices and making sure people are included. Um, and it's very, very hard because, I mean, we work with a lot of uh, startups through just all their stages. For example, we started working with DoorDash, right? DoorDash has just gone public. But, you know, they were once a small company, right? And it's easy to actually make decisions when you are a group of 10, 15, or even 20. And those decisions can be, you know, you can explore and back and forth. You, you just have buy-in with everything as you go forward. But as, as companies scale, it becomes really important to actually uh, begin defining, you know, how decisions are made, who makes them. And, and be really clear about the, the nature of, of the input that you want to have. And so I'm finding that as companies get bigger, 50, 100, 150, there has to be a lot more attention given to the process by which decisions are made. Yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, definitely. It's so interesting because I think leaders don't realize um, that, that this really impacts the level of trust mm -hmm. that people have in them if they 
say we want your ideas, but they don't explain the process. Mm -hmm. And then people's ideas aren't adopted. And what people are left with is, why did you ask me when you had no intention? You know, people always go to that worst possible motive. For sure. And so we we try to uh, work with companies uh, to actually be clear up front that this is an important decision. Here are the rules of engagement around it. Who here's mm-hmm. here's who's going to be involved? DoorDash, for example, they're they're a little um, they're not like they're not totally like Amazon, but they have a little Amazonian. They're very very structured. They just get things done in really a good way. But they've used the sort of the Steve Jobs concept. Uh, and this was something that came in early days of Steve Jobs, where every every sort of decision that was agreed upon had a DRI. I don't really know what that means, but that's a directly responsible individual. It's, oh, like, it's really that. clear who the owner is of a decision. So at, at DoorDash, for example, you would never leave a meeting with key decisions without knowing that's your decision. You're the DRI. And... Uh, this is a very important concept because sometimes DRIs are designated, but sometimes the DRIs are not always given the, the even though they're told they're the owner, sometimes <laughs> leaders will actually take that responsibility away, right? So yeah. we have uh, in, in the manifesto that we're working with, with companies and masterclasses one, it's, you know, we have what ifs, what if, you know, the DRI feels like you empowered me, but it's really not happening, right? How do you escalate that and talk about that? And that's a really good conversation to have. You know, we have to remember our leaders, our founders of these companies are, are just, they're very strong, they're, they're dynamic. They have a lot of their ideas and they, they want their ideas to have impact on the company. And uh, if, if it's a technical company and a product company, they often have lots of product technical knowledge. And they like to be right a lot of the times. So it, it's hard sometimes for them to let go. And yet, Diane, as we look at engagement survey data as companies scale, and as they hire, particularly startups, hire more experienced people that come in from other companies that, that are larger, they want to be involved in decisions. They want to make those decisions. And so we'll not keep, we'll, we'll not keep people on board right? Unless we empower them in a true way, right? And that's how you build trust when you actually say that's your decision to make and you let them make the decision, even though it may be the decision that you wouldn't have gone with, right? That's how you trust. Yeah. Right, 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 right. All right. Let's stay on trust for a minute because I'm really curious about building trust in this hybrid environment that we're in. Mm -hmm. It, it feels like it's a lot more challenging. It is, right? This hybrid environment with, uh, with COVID and with Zoom. And uh, I mean, I have teams I'm working with that they've hired you know, new players on the team and nobody has met each other you know, face-to-face, yeah. right? Here you go. And how do you build trust around that? And I think, I think that leaders have to figure out different ways to disrupt their normal working day and week. And I call this just disrupting the norm a little bit. Like I have this thing that's kind of fun that I do with uh, CEOs. It's called, you know, water cooler time, right? And water cooler time is just time that a CEO spends with a direct report or a key employee or someone that is not about the work, 
but it's about how the person is doing, right? And yeah. trust through relationship building and by understanding people's worlds through empathy. I mean, we do a lot of work with uh, empathy-based leaders, but this is a conversation, the water cool conversation. It's really about how are you doing? Um, how's it going, right? And, uh, or tell me a little bit about yourself. And then we also talk to leaders about being vulnerable themselves, being able to disclose things that they're going through because everybody right now, it's, it's not working for a lot of people, right? And so yeah. as a leader, you've got to be able to identify with that and be human. So you build trust through relationships. You also build trust through uh, good communication, letting mm -hmm. people know what's happening. So if a decision that didn't go exactly the way that they thought it would go, do you give context for why that decision happened? Do you explain that? Uh, do you take time to actually create sort of a, a clear scenario around what happened around that decision, right? So communication becomes really important. And then I would say, I, I'm a big believer. I do a lot of work with the people that I coach, uh, the CEO or the founder or the leader as coach. And by coaching means just, talking to people about the things that are going on that are really troubling them, right? So I have this thing, uh, Diane, this three question feedback thing, right? Because we look at surveys and, and all employees want feedback. They, they want more feedback from their leaders, right? In general, yeah. you build trust a lot through dialogue and through communication. So I have this, uh, this three question kind of thing that I have my leaders use at least once a month or every other session. And so the first one is, here's what's really working well with you, right? So I would say, Diane, here's the thing, I just I just keep doing this. This is, I mean, the way you are just getting accounts closed, the way in which you are closing the loop on things, it's awesome. And give a very specific behavioral example. Number two is to say, here's the thing that I'm thinking about that isn't working as well, right? I'm observing this. Uh, so you give feedback on what's not working as well from your perception, right? And you do that in a very... Uh, uh, constructive, uh, respectful way, and you give very concrete feedback. Um, and then the third one, which may be the most important question, is how can I, as a leader, support you better? What can mm -hmm. I do differently to support you better? So dialogue, you know, letting, getting into their worlds. I mean, these are people, many of whom have, you know, challenges at home, family at home, children at home, they're they're just, and they're working, 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 and they're on technology and Zoom all day long. We can talk more about that, some of the things that I'm suggesting that they break it up a little bit. But um, again, building trust is, is, it takes time. You've got to work on building that relationship and communicate, communicate, and communicate. Yeah, boy, it, it is so, I mean, it is always important. I, I think it's probably more so now because there are so many other variables. And um, one of the things that, that I note is that we're sort of all sharing this same experience, but we are experiencing it differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you don't know how someone else, you know, what their experience is. Yes. Unless you have that conversation. Yes. Uh, that's so important. I mean, our, our lives are so complex and we just don't know. Uh, there's this little exercise that we do. I mean, sometimes you can actually break things up a little bit. And, and I, I, I'm a big believer before you get into all the data and how the product's going, et cetera, 
is to do some ice breaking kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. It's a one exercise that we've done. I've done a few offsites through Zoom and then a few, you know, COVID, I, I, I did a few, they went to LA and I did one in San Francisco, um, but now we're kind of back to, but it's, it's a question that you ask in the very beginning. It's like, if you only knew me, you would know that. And it's interesting when you go around the room, it's like, um, you know, it, 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 what people actually share. And it's very interesting. Just people will share what's going on with their lives. You only knew me, you'd know that I'm this, or I, I have this hobby that I do or whatever, but getting to know a little more about people, um, because you can't, um, you're not face to face. And so you miss a lot of the nonverbal and you need to be able to create a, a climate that allows people to talk about the other things going on. And that, that can be a five minute exercise and then you can move into the, the work at hand, but it's relationship building and you're so right. It's got, it's time spent uh, doing that kind of work. Yeah, yeah, really makes a difference. At this time, I'd like to take a sponsor break. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. And I'm sure you know that Audible.com has thousands of audiobook titles to choose from, but you might not know about the other content. There's podcasts, Audible Originals, guided meditations. Uh, My favorite thing is to be able to listen to different kinds of things all on the same platform. I think it's a time saver uh, and it's like productivity Uh, hack for me. I don't have to go jumping from one platform to another. Uh, So we're offering you a free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, sign up for that free trial, and then explore on your own. You know, check out the audiobooks, check out the other programs, see what really, you know, resonates with you. Interested in getting some help with your sales strategy? Pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And what about um, feedback the other way, mm-hmm. you know, backward or upstream or, you know, whatever you want to call it? Um, because I know I encourage small business owners to create feedback loops where they are welcoming yeah. feedback and, and information from their staff because they, they want everyone to know that they care about things and there's things they're not seeing, you know, the leader doesn't see or doesn't realize or whatever it is. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think upward communication or, you know, there's a concept, uh, Diane, called, you know, leaders being feedback receptive, right? What does it mean to be receptive to feedback, right? And we, we do a lot of, uh, observation of groups. I mean, when I do work with the CEOs that I coach, I often will watch him or her in a meeting, right? Just, you know, and and how they actually engage. And there's a lot of uh, interesting dynamics around inclusion, right? Inclusion behavior, because if you're, if you're, you've got a, a couple new players on the team, but you've got a lot of players that have been with you a long time, it's interesting to see who talks to whom and how much people talk, right? It's interesting. So we try to get people to broaden the feedback and to encourage more voices to be heard. And it really boils down to, I think, uh, and we we talk about this in our book, the, our, the book that we have that's coming out around the art of asking good questions, because it is about that. And I do feel that um, 
questions, the way you phrase the question. So, you know, CEOs and leaders tend to talk too much at meetings in general. If you, if you look at all the data that we've collected, they talk sometimes 50 to 60% of the time, and they wonder why their, their teams are not actually coming, because they're not really spending time giving space to others. So I'll say, ask a what question, like um, you say something, and then, so what do you all think about that? Or what would success look like? Or what things are we missing around that idea, right? And then I will tell them, you wait 10 minutes. I call this, Diane, the 10-minute wait rule, right? And for some people who are very extroverted and they want to jump in, it's very hard. And they say, you mean I can't talk? I said, well, you could, you could ask questions like, uh, do others have the similar thoughts? You could play the facilitator role. But in 10 minutes, you want to hear what is missing, what do people think about that, right? And so getting them to uh, be receptive and to truly listen and to hear the voices of others becomes really important. So there's an art to that. And you know, it is the art of being, of a, being a good listener, but the art of asking the right questions and then giving space to others. Right. Yeah, I love that. That, that is really great. We don't um, listen well enough, I think. Yeah. I think that's you know, mm -hmm. something just about everyone could work on um, and, and it becomes intentional. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We have to own that we're probably, you know, potentially distracted or we yes. already have decided what the outcome of the conversation is going to be. So. Yeah. I yeah. like that idea. I like that idea, Diane, of owning it, right. Owning that. I think that's yeah. really important. Right. And being able yeah. to say, but even, even being um, real with people in the room, right. Being, if you've had a frustrating day or things have not gone well, be able to say, you know, I'm not in a good place today. And sometimes by saying that you just start off and it's like, it's, it's a way of saying that, and then you get back in the groove and you, but helping uh, leaders become more real, more authentic. I mean, they're human. I do find uh, that in particularly the last year and a half, it, there's, it, it's been harder, I think, for leaders to control things, right? They're much more, there's more stress. I find there's more just mental anxiety expressed. Uh, there's more, I mean, if, if people have a natural tendency to fly off and even get angry, I see more of that, less yeah. emotional control around it. And so it, it's interesting how uh, and a lot of it's because of COVID and just, just in general and just their, their worries about things. And so helping them actually center on what that's really all about, managing that in a better way, uh, being authentic about it, being real, um, calling it out for people, uh, letting them own some of that, as you're suggesting, uh, is very authentic because leaders are human. Um, yeah. We have a lot of leaders who, who, who do adhere to the imposter syndrome. It's like they, they just have to be this leader that everybody expects them to be. And yet underneath it all, there's fears, anxiety, and yeah. often if they only knew I didn't know this and found me out, the imposter syndrome, it would be crazy. So getting, getting people to confront those those fears and anxieties uh, in our coaching session, and then being able to manage that in a way is very productive. We found people uh, can be very authentic in that. So, well, sure, because you know it's so sad because they—it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. You behave in a way that doesn't engender trust mm -hmm. because you feel like you're supposed to be a certain kind of leader, which is not the leader that other people resonate with. 
Yes. And so then you don't get the teamwork and the dedication and the buy-in and all the other things that you need. And it just perpetuates it, itself. You know, it's, it's nothing good comes from it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, I think uh, it, it's really getting people to, uh, confront some of those things that are somewhat deep. I mean, it's interesting. Um, our book, Sea Change, which comes out in, oh, gee, maybe uh, we're in the final editing of the final pages of the manuscript right now <laughs> and getting it in. But it, it really is based upon the assumption that there's not a lot of, um, you know, people want to, they want tips and they want tools and they, you know, tell us how to be or, and I want to be like this leader or whatever. Uh, all these techniques and things that you know, prescriptions, right, uh, on how to yeah. do things. Um, the book is more around just confronting some basic questions that you need to ask about yourself as a leader, like, uh, what do I need to succeed? And uh, what am I afraid of my fears? Uh, what are my desires, deep desires that actually are good, but some that are derailing? Uh, what is your unrecognized gift, you know, play to your strengths? And then what is my purpose? And so the idea is that you go deeper around those things, right? Uncover those things. So we talk a lot about examples of um, people that we've coached that have gone through these questions. We think great leaders are curious about themselves and really develop an empathy around all of that. And that makes them the leaders that I think are the great leaders. Yeah, I do too. And um, one of the things that I, that I think this is my opinion about leadership. It's is that you're not you're not expected to have all the answers. You're expected to convene the resources to find the answers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. which which I think you know, especially with small business owners, they think everyone is looking to them to yeah. solve every problem and have any, every answer. And you can't. I mean, it's just impossible. But you can pull together resources and conversation and brainstorming and that sort of thing and out of that find an answer you know something to implement to give it a shot yeah no I think I think expanding the the role of the leader not thinking the leader is the one who makes all the calls has to be right all the time that leader good leaders also learn and I love your word convene convening a group together um, I think I think good leaders wear many hats. I have this uh, what I call this sort of hat trick kind of thing. It's like which hat are you wearing in the room? And you should wear multiple hats because one hat may be a decisive hat that you're going to make the call. One might be that you want to convene them and come together and uh, have a consensus. It could be a hat of just exploring new ideas. So you know it's a really curiosity. It's just a brainstorming kind of thing. Uh, it also could be a hat of just um, inspiring. You know, just telling people that we are on the right track, that we're doing really well. So which hat are you playing? Uh, I get a lot of feedback, Diane, that people aren't exactly sure. Well, when the CEO's in the room, what hat is he or she playing, right? Um, <laughs> and there's a tendency, I know when I did uh, work at Apple, for example, there was always a tendency with the leaders there to... Uh, you know, when, when somebody says something, it's like, well, now we need to go down that path, right? And the leader really didn't mean that, right? It was like they yeah. threw out an idea, but they never really clarified exactly that, I don't want you to go down that path. I just, I want your ideas on, on what we might do with that. So um, leaders need to be clear about their role because uh, it's not always um, obvious to people 
And again, I think it's creating context and explaining uh, I'm going to be a participant in the room, right? Uh, I'm not going to say a lot about this, all right? This is your meeting, right? Yeah. We're not going to make a decision about this meeting here. I want to hear everybody's ideas because I have no idea what to do with this, right? Yeah. So do you define your role? It's really an important concept for leaders to clarify that. So, yeah. Yeah, interesting. definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I can totally see that. So, um just going to ask you a question and boy it just left my head left um, <laughs> it did it did shoot it was as my grandmother used to say it was probably a lot um <laughs> darn it it was around um oh i know what it was yeah uh i find oftentimes that leaders don't communicate enough like that they should probably over communicate because uh -huh. they have this belief that other people know what they know or already know the foundation of whatever the situation is or, or the, the mission, the vision, where we're going, what's happening, I, fill in the blank. It could be just about anything. And I'm curious, you know, what, what you think about that is, do you see that in the work that you do? Um, the question is more about what, just clarity of their vision and purpose or like, yeah. How well do they communicate enough? Ah, just the amount of communication. All yeah. that. No, I mean, I, my answer to that is that, that you can't. I mean, I, I we work so much on communication, right? Yeah. And I, I think that um, a, a lot of the leaders that I work with in the when they move from the early stage, the middle stage, and then they go public, because we we often, our, our um, coaching work often takes them through all that. And then we're with them also as they go public. And again, it's interesting, Diane, these are uh, young young founders. So we work with very young young founders who are now CEOs in public companies like Tony Hsu of DoorDash, right? Yeah. Uh, very interesting. So. Um, but those companies have a very clear communication plan. And it's different when it's small and medium, but um, it's, it's like, who are your stakeholders? Who are the people that need communication? How do you, do you bring them together? Uh, when, how do you do that? Once you make a decision on the, on the leadership team, is it cascaded down? I have groups now that have their seven to 10 people on their team, and then they, bring the expanded group of 20, which are the leaders in the organization. And then they have their all hands meeting. And the messages are usually that I like consistent messaging around things yeah. like you know, this, this is where we're going. And these are the shifts we've made. I love those communications to talk about the what, here's what is important. We're focusing on these critical things. Here's why. And I love the connection to the mission. Uh, which is really, we're doing these things because this is really part of who we are as an organization. Um, but it might be a little bit different as you go down through the organization, the questions and answers with the all hands meetings, but you cannot spend enough time thinking about the right strategies for those meetings. As the company grows larger, it's so critical to have consistent messaging and to do that on a regular basis. And the companies that are doing that are the ones that are most productive, I find. That's really interesting. And so they, manage, they manage their communications. And sometimes right. they have somebody doing it for them. And sometimes they actually script out the CEO. I mean, some of them are not as uh, adept 
at maybe uh, doing that, but th they can be scripted around that, right? But it's very intentional. Um, I have some CEOs that, that have uh, their direct report one-on-one -on -one time, or they, they do their water cooler time with people. Uh, they try to create small groups where they just go down through the organization and meet, skip levels, you know, down skip levels where the CEO and the leader goes down the organization in a particular product space and just uh, meets people and communicates. Um, that communication role, whether it's all hands, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's, uh, you know, skip level meetings, et cetera, it's, it, it needs to be a significant part of their time. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Completely. Yeah. It, it's, I, I, I'm developing like this picture in my head yeah. of a, a CEO, a leader, and how they're navigating their organization mm -hmm. in person, virtually, you know, with that communication, with, with those touch points. Yes. Yes. With people, right? So. Yes. yes. That's a good word, touch points. What are the critical touch points, right? Uh, there's a very interesting thing. I do a lot of uh, sort of calendar time management with leaders, right? Uh, I'll say to you, uh, let me see your calendar over the last month or last three weeks. And then I'll use, McKenzie has a really nice model on just practices that they determined that when a company gets so far, you should be spending time with your board. You should be, because I, I deal with a lot of venture firms, uh, lots of right. companies that are well-invested, right? With uh, lots yeah. of venture companies. Uh, how much time do you spend on the strategy of the organization? How much time do you spend on just building the team parts? What about external partnerships outside the org? So it's, it's like a pie chart, mm -hmm. and, and you can go through that. And all of a sudden you look at calendar and you say, they'll say, I may be doing more of this, but you look at how their calendar is just driving them and they're not working on the right things. So, uh, and the biggest thing I get feedback on is that CEOs are not spending enough time on looking around the corner, thinking about what's next and planning for the next year. And that's all, and that's strategy time. So I actually will say, you gotta have a half a day of your time in a week on just reflection. If you're walking, whatever you wanna do, but spend time thinking about what's next for the organization. Usually that's not on. And remember, these are often technical founders that love doing things, right? Yeah, love getting in right. the weeds, but they need to raise their heads up and begin to talk to people about what's next for the company. And that's strategy. If you're not doing strategy work and thinking about that and having conversations with people, you're probably not leading. Yeah, right, right. Boy, that feels like that would be... Um... A, a very interesting thing, a very interesting shift yeah. for some of these founders to take. It is. And as their companies get larger, right, as they grow, because we sometimes start with them when they're smaller and then we're, we're with them as they get larger, their roles shift and what's yeah. natural. And what's natural in terms of their default when they founded the company is probably not what is needed to scale the company to the next level, which is why... Some CEOs, boards will replace them. That happens. I mean, it happens. Yeah, right. you know, people come in and do we have the right leader? Uh, we like to think that we can scale those leaders to the next place, but uh, that depends a lot on, on the flexibility of a leader to adapt to some of the new role challenges. Right, right. That, that is for sure. Yeah. Wow, John, I, I so love this information and this conversation. Will you 
share with the listeners, you know, how they can find you, um, when, how they'll be able to get the book when it's out. Right, right. So it's, uh, you know, I'm, you can reach me at uh, Velocity uh, Coaching. I don't know whether it's on, whether you have it, but it's like, it's john at velocitycoaching.com. Um, we also have our website, which is uh, Velocity Coaching, www.velocitycoaching.com. And the book Sea Change uh, is coming out in 2022, probably in February or March, uh, depending on just what date they decide to put it out with. But it has a lot in it around some of the things that we've talked about today around what makes leaders uh, great leaders. And it's, it's the art of really asking yourself really some very fundamental questions that make a difference in who you are as a leader. So I think that's probably the best way to, to reach us and uh, be happy to connect with anybody who wants to talk further. Ah, that's so great. Thank you so much. I think this was really valuable information. You're doing some really great, meaningful work. So thank you for taking time out of that to be with me. Yes. Thank you, Diane. Thanks for all your questions. It was great to dialogue with you. It was a pleasure. You as well. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Diane. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzoir, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.